dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. Today's episode of Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com is brought to you by the 2019 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. It's coming up August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida. You can learn more at USCCExpo.com. Thanks for joining us here on Blunt Business. Quote, the cannabis industry has mass appeal and political clout as it walks the corridors of power and can now call on a newly formed integration communications agency to help gain market share while also navigating the regulatory environment that is taking shape, end quote. Those are the words from veteran public public relations entrepreneur Doug Peretz. And he is here today to tell us about High Growth Communications. It's an agency with a full suite of communication services exclusively created for creating brand new leaders in the fast-growing cannabis industry. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, George. My pleasure. So you ran the Poritz Group, which is originally an investor relations firm serving technology companies. Then the firm became part of Corvus, which then offered marketing community research, media training, and grassroots lobbying to services, working for clients like United Technologies, the Jim Beam Liquor Family, and the Consumer Technology Association. Big regards. So now, let me take a quote from you real quick. Quote, the cannabis industry of today bears some resemblance to the high-tech industry in its infancy. Lots of entrepreneurial companies flooding the market with new innovations and a dearth of experience in communicating their businesses to investors, regulators, and potential partners. So we have your overview right there in one nutshell. Talk to me about the similarities you see from tech and what thought you could bring this to the cannabis industry with High Point. Uh, really, high growth, really interesting. Me. High growth. Uh, this is uh, interesting because, look, I'm uh, 73 years old. I've spent my entire business life since I was about 21 in communications. So I've been involved with uh, obser- minimally observing, often participating in a variety of industries, and in, and it, tech is one. Telecom is another biotech also very similar and so on so um, what you notice first of all is an energy level you could walk into early meetings of uh, entrepreneurs in uh, information technology or telecom or uh, the so-called dot-com era and the energy in the room was palpable you can walk into any conference or meeting with a local or national of the cannabis industry and feel that same level of energy. You don't feel that energy level in a conference of uh, in the wood industry, which I also handled in my career. I and mean, it is a unique level of energy, and uh, that's the most similar thing that the cannabis industry has with tech, in my view. Now, they also, go ahead, they also have some dissimilarities. Um, But another similarity they have, before I forget it, is uh, irrational enterprise valuations. I did, I handled a company, uh, my firm did, for investor relations called VerticalNet, shortly after it went uh, IPO. We also handled another company called U.S. Interactive shortly after it went IPO. Both of them were investment com- portfolio companies of a group called the In- Internet Capital Group, which uh, started out uh, with the goal of investing in any enterprise that had an idea for B2B commerce on the web. No, they fantastic. Started out, Let me go ahead. Yeah. I want to go ahead and segue into the focus on what what you've already done in tech and what you've already done in the past with uh, the Porous Group. What I want to go ahead and find out now is your focus here with high growth. So your focus is going to be exclusively on medical and adult use cannabis. 
I'm going to know that's already generated revenues of more than $12 billion in 2018. Tremendous growth potential growing forward and increasing political economy result. So talk to me about the potential and where do you expect to land and find your footing? Um, the potential for my company or the, com- yes. or the potential for the industry? Potential for high growth. Where do you find yourself uh, playing into, this, into the industry? Where do you find yourself settling? Sure. When I looked at the industry the first time as a business, okay, uh, what I saw was an industry that was doing, say, 12 to $15 billion in the legal market a year. And when I took a look at how those companies, how the players in that industry were communicating to build a brand, to build, to communicate to their customers, to communicate within their own industry, so on and so forth, I did not see the same level of quality uh, as you would see in um, more in business, more established businesses. So I thought there was a need for high quality communication services, and that's the niche I mean, we're going after. High quality companies that want to be number one, two, or three in their segment and have a serious commitment to that. So. Um, that's where we want to settle, and we want to provide those companies every area of communications expertise, whether it be traditional publicity, which is very viable, or digital, or research, or grassroots, or advertising, whatever it is. Now, this week, as we were doing the show, uh, just a couple of days ago, you posted an article in on LinkedIn. And you mentioned the story was, who's going to own medical marijuana? Those who define the issue win the issue. Now, two things I want to point out in this before we go to break. Uh, One is that, quote, it would be folly to think that other players in related businesses, such as pharmaceuticals, spirits, tobacco, and others, will sit back and cede $12 billion in the industry and up to $50 billion by the middle of the decade. You were saying that all those billions – to those who leapt into the cannabis business when the risk and obstacles were much greater. So expand on that for me. I'm in Washington. I grew up in Washington. I've been a Washington business. I see how Washington plays. I also know, by virtue of the political environment that exists now, that much of the rest of the country, unless you've been imbued in Washington, doesn't know how Washington plays. But I think that one thing that everybody understands about Washington now is that it plays to win under very strong terms because there's a lot to risk. There are going to be a ton of regulations generated by federal government about cannabis and cannabis providers and what you can sell, what you can use, when you can use it, all sorts of regulations, taxes, so on. So uh, who's going to control how those regulations break, and will it favor what industry? And right now, you're seeing in in the cannabis industry acquisitions and major investments from spirits companies and from pharmaceutical companies, in addition to straight investors. Well, the spirits companies and the pharmaceutical companies have often differed on their political uh, desires. And the, and, and the cannabis industry will differ as well. But if cannabis is controlled by the large, large spirits and, and or pharma companies that are making all the major investments in it now, um, those regulations are, go, are not going to f- favor those people who are inherently just uh, the cannabis industry. I hope that made sense. No, it totally does. Now, that's where we're looking at from the outside. But when it comes to the inside, you also mentioned in the same article that if today's cannabis players want to control the future of their own industry, they need to increase and accelerate their own efforts now to define their industry in their terms. Otherwise, they might find themselves hopelessly behind the curves and trying to win the vital Washington game of using legislative and regulatory processes to control the playing field for their unique vested interests. So... You know, I and listen, I, I understand I, I don't understand the Washington game. I don't I don't like some of the methods that are being used in Washington to get where they want to go. That's pretty apparent. But 
you know, I mean, the other thing too is it's leverage. I mean, what kind of leverage is out there in terms of, you know, how to control the terms of how the industry is going to be interpreted by others? The mainstream media, Washington, still have their own way of how they can play the narrative. How do you counteract that? Well, um, I think you're right, and the answer is if you're going to counteract it, you're not going to counteract it. You're not going to counteract it with a silver bullet or some single effort. You're going to surround that issue. You're going to take it seriously, and you're and as much as you may dislike the Washington environment and the way things are done in Washington, you're going to have to deal with it. You know, Washington now is really the center of the high-tech industry, in my view. Every high-tech company, wherever they may be, whether in Silicon Valley or anywhere else in the world, has a major corporate presence in Washington. And that started when the feds went against Microsoft on the web browser issue. Do you remember? My, and 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 Microsoft said, no, the web browser is part of our operating system. And the Fed said, no, it isn't. You got it. The web browser is a separate business. You can't control it. And Microsoft lost that. That was a benchmark when every tech company said, oh, my God, if we don't deal with these guys, we can be screwed, too. Google's about <laughs> to go ahead and face that fate with antitrust, it looks like, pretty soon. Yeah, and so since then, they've all established businesses in and offices and a presence in Washington, and they've hired lobbyists, and they've hired public affairs and communications firms, and so on. So what we have to do is simply accept the fact that whether you like it or not, you're going to have to deal with it, and to deal with it, if you think you can deal with it just by lobbying, you're wrong. If you think that you can deal with it just by a PAC or a TV campaign or a public affairs campaign or a grassroots campaign or speeches all over the country, you're wrong. It's going to take all of that, <laughs> and and that's the unfortunate reality of Washington or the fortune, whatever way you want to call it. It is the reality. The problem that I see in the cannabis business is that unlike other businesses and we can industries and we can go through them, which built really strong, viable industry associations, cannabis business is building associations plural for itself. It needs to get behind one. It needs to unify. It needs to strengthen. It needs to stop diluting its own efforts. Agreed. But then again, also, if we could have had the chance to work with people that are not lifetime politicians and actual citizen servants, but I mean, that's, yeah. uh, that was, I guess we're asking for too much. Uh, anyway, well, I'm here with Doug Poritz with High Growth Communications here on Plum Business. We're going to be back with more questions with him, talk more about what Washington and the cannabis industry are dealing with each other in terms of legislation and policy making. We'll talk about that after the break. But let's talk about the 2019 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. It's coming up August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida. You can find more information at usccexpo.com. Remember, doctors, day before Friday, August 2nd, we'll have medical evaluations. We'll have the chance for you to take the exam so that you can become a licensed medical marijuana doctor. And we'll also have a chance for patients to be able to go and obtain a medical marijuana card at a most likely a significant discount, but you got to come to the show to find out for yourself. A lot of great information. We're going to have a featured keynote on big box distribution, and I can tell you right now that the keynote address for that will be by Michael Brubeck. He is with Centuria Foods. That will be one of our featured keynote addresses that we'll have at our show. We're also going to have other great keynotes that I've already set up. We have some great sessions when it comes to cannabis branding to the mainstream, which looks like a fascinating panel. I could tell you that two of our former business guests are going to be on that panel. Another same thing will be on learning to invest in cannabis. We'll have a panel on working with distribution companies. And we'll also have another great panel we're working on right now, a sponsored panel on CBD research for the supplement industry in North America, the trials part. That is going to be a fascinating conversation. So much more to talk about. That's coming up. August 34th, only weeks away for you to go ahead and be with us in Miami, Florida for the 2019 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. Again, 
Get your tickets today now at usccexpo.com. We'll be back with more with Doug Porras after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo. Register for an early bird discount now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth sheepskin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with Doug Ports of High Growth Communications here on Plum Business. So the most recent headline I could talk with you, Doug, about when it comes to Washington is what we've talked about extensively here on Blunt Business. It's the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, and the implementation of the 2018 hemp bill. So as we record this show on June 7th, about a week ago, uh, this the, the what we're trying to hopefully find out is that the Food and Drug Administration to inform the regulatory path forward related to consumer products derived from CBD, the FDA did hold a recent public hearing and that would allow stakeholders to share their views on the, quote, safety of such products. And I can tell you just some of the feedback I've heard from that event is incredible and how misinformed the FDA is and how great questions the industry came with to address, which I was really wonderful. So what have you learned from that meeting, being there in Washington, and what does the process go from here? I learned that it's more of the same. It's the same process. There are no, uh, maybe there are aberrations that prove the rule, but there are no major breakthroughs um, in Washington. They happen over a period of time, and they get shaped by many hands until they get to the finish line. So um, so what you're seeing is that process. The FDA, some people don't know. Some people uh, have pre, uh, predetermined answers and attitudes, and some people are advocates and so on, and it's going through that process. And, I, and, and that's the way I see it. What we know now so far is that CBD is not technically allowed in the food supply. And the FDA clarified it still reserved the right to regulate CBD, making the substance effectively illegal in commercial food products until the agency issues its rules. Mm-hmm. So, long story, but here's the thing. All right. So, there's that ruling, but retailers are already quick to stock products anyway. FDA has largely looked into the other way. They looked the other way while retailers like CVS and even Marcus already carry CBD mm-hmm. products in their stores. Mm-hmm. Ben and Jerry's announced it would be open to debuting a CBD infused ice cream as soon as the agency rolls out its plan. What is this, a money grab? Why is it that, you know, this, this farm bill was supposed to allow the hemp legal, but then the substance is effectively illegal in commercial foods, but yet that big, big brand retailers are able to infuse CBD into their products? What gives? It's really simple, and it's another analogy back to high tech. I gave a speech once to a fairly big room uh, uh, about the growth of the high tech business, and I uh, this was back uh, uh, as Amazon was taking off uh, initially as a bookstore, and 
I uh, asked the room, maybe a few hundred people, I said, all those who know the first move in number one uh, company in online bookstore sales, raise your hand. Everybody raised their hand. It was Amazon. I said, everybody who knows the number two bookseller online, raise your hand. <laughs> it was really thin. And I think Barnes & Noble had it at the time. And then it was, anybody know number three, four, or five? Anybody at all? First mover is really important. So Ben and Jerry's coming out with the first um, uh, CBD-infused ice cream or whatever is really good. If they come out after 15 other ice cream companies try it, they don't have the same marketing position. I agree so with you, the, but uh, why do they get right. the first crack at it? And the FDA can look the other way. This is amazing. Because they have money and they've decided that they don't care or they'll deal with it. So why don't the lobbyists just <laughs> buy out the buy out the politicians just like every other industry then? I mean, is there something where there's some kind of a moral uh, issue within the industry to do that, I guess? Would that be something that comes into play? Or do we just need to wait for these mainstream companies that want to get in on the market to play ball and then add that lobbying money to do the paying off for us? Um, first of all, I wouldn't call it paying off, but that may be well. That's my I opinion. I'm going to say. I'm not going to say it. You saying it? That's me. You have to live in Washington. So, I don't. So right, I understand that. So, um, but uh, what I do say is, uh, is reiterate back to an earlier answer, which is that it's a process. It is a process, and what you see happening now in this industry has happened in numerous other industries. Look, my firm handled free internet radio. That's been going on for years. And it's an industry. You, you have to understand, let's do something, there are pros and cons, and, and there's actually three parties in free internet radio, but let's go back to abortion, which is very much in the news now. There are industries in Washington that are pro-abortion and anti-abortion, as much as people may be passionate about abortion, there are hundreds if not thousands of jobs and millions of dollars on the abortion issue. And, and so they influence the process. The process never gets fully done, and it's exactly what you read from what the FDA said. Well, as soon as we study this and make our final reviews, well, yeah. you want to wait? It'll be the next century by then. But now the other thing, too, is that, uh, and forgive me, I understand you make a great point with that example, but I will tell you one thing. And one thing I've learned from radio, there are two things you don't talk about, religion and abortion. We'll move along from Yeah, there. okay. <laughs> so now let's talk about banking, which is another yeah. hot-button issue. Again, that just right. the mainstream media I can thump on and I can criticize. Washington is a very close second. The U.S. Mm -hmm. the U.S. House Financial Services Committee, which is uh, led by uh, the committee chair Maxine Waters, by the way, and a forty-five mm -hmm. to fifteen bipartisan vote approved legislation that will allow marijuana businesses access to banks without fear of prosecution, the Safe Banking Act. But now, mm -hmm. and even then, you have a bipartisan group of attorneys general urging Congress, thirty-eight of them, to pass this mm -hmm. legislation that would make it easier for banks to handle money involved in the legal cannabis industry. Where and when do you see financial security coming to pass for American cannabis owners? Okay, <laughs> let's go back to let's go back to what was passed. Okay, yeah. what was passed was uh, approval of this approach in one committee right. of the House of Representatives. But it was made a big deal. I, I believe it's a big deal, and I believe it's really a great, important act, and I believe it will change the industry, but it has not yet become law. It has gone through one committee in the House. It's going to have to go through the entire House, which, given the current makeup of the House, it will probably do, and then it's going to go to the Senate. Right. Now, you tell me... <laughs> I know. How I know the U.S. Senate is going to vote about <laughs> cannabis banking. But see, and, uh, and I understand. <laughs> I, I, I'll try to stay apolitical on this program. I understand <laughs> where you're coming from with that. I'm going to leave that discussion for those in the audience to talk about because you're right. 
But, but the, here's the thing. I'm not going to say it's I, anything. I, wait, uh, let, me, let me just make a point. Oh, I'm ahead. not saying I'm pro-Democrat or pro-Republican. Correct. What I'm saying is let's get reasonable about the timing. This will become law in one form or another after it goes through the process. It's on its way through the process. It could get damned, stopped up or something in the process. But it's going to move to uh, to uh, legalization, to, to, to a law. It's just going to take some time, and those people who cheer, hey, we're done. We're not close to done. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> I think the best way to get explain it is there is longer. an establishment of, you know, whichever side of the aisle there is, that's bought and paid for. They don't get to answer that. If their constituents, their high-paying donors, are willing to, or lobbyists are saying, you know what, okay, if we got our piece in the cannabis industry, yeah, go ahead and sign the bill. Go ahead and vote yes. Until then, no. You don't get mm-hmm. to do that. We don't tell you. You 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 listen to us. You do what we you obey what we tell you. That's what's going to be what it comes down to. But now here's the thing. We just mentioned it before. Now, obviously, the attention for cannabis is growing again because nearly every candidate and a large field, very large field. What is it? Twenty three or twenty four candidates now, vying for the twenty twenty Democratic presidential nomination. They've embraced some mm-hmm. form of cannabis legalization, signaling that mm-hmm. cannabis products, mm-hmm. product, products are not only increasing normalizing, increasingly mm-hmm. normalizing, but are big business. So yes. Elizabeth Warren worked with Cory Gardner, the States Act, which I actually like. I would love to see that right. come to pass. Cory Booker right. reintroduced legislation, which would be the full legalization for adult use. Right, right. Why is this policy I, not a higher... Priority in the respective platform over universal health care and education and various social programs because people would vote for that. Oh, um, well, I. Who uh, else is bought and paid for, show, right? Polls show that you're right. Um, but uh, it just reiterates my main point, which is it's going through a process. And, and, and that at this point, you can make a prediction that the process is going to end in some sort of legalization. You don't know exactly when and you don't know exactly in what form, but it's going through a process. And what we see now is the process. Now, uh, I've been involved uh, uh, to, in some campaigns in my time. And uh, what people choose to make an issue or not an issue is... Uh, not necessarily uh, tied to uh, apparent logic. Right. No, there is no logic more or less involved. But I will say this, and I don't know, people can agree to disagree, but I'm not going to, again, I want to keep apolitical here. But I do think that the person that is the top, uh, that is our president, you know, he's a disruptor. And that's, Mm -hmm. regardless of whatever else you call the president, that's Mm -hmm. fine. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say one thing or the otherwise. Disruption mm-hmm. has caused a ripple down into Congress, and there's been a, mm-hmm. a large purge just in this last election cycle where a lot of the people mm-hmm. did not want to be a part of this. They got out or they got voted out. And I think this continuous voting out, first of all, it has changed some of the dynamic of who is in office now. I think mm-hmm. there's going to be a continued disruption in 2020. And I think that's also going to possibly benefit the industry. Do you agree? I agree that you might be right. I would like to um, think that's going to happen. I really do. I, I, I agree with you that I'd like to see it happen, too. <laughs> I, I flash back in my memory to when uh, Ross Perot was running, first running yes. for president in mm-hmm. the United States. I was a big Ross Perot fan at first. Right. Uh, I got to, I met him, and and that, and then that he brought part, on James Stockdale, and that's pretty but, much. But yeah. I remember I was at Wolf Trap, which is uh-huh. an entertainment venue in Washington area, okay. and I saw Brett Hume, who I happen to know because of where my wife worked, ah. and and I said, hey, and Brett at the time was more moderate. He well, he's a very smart. He was guy. at ABC, and correct I, at the time. He's pardon me. He was at ABC have, at the time. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Good for you. I think you're probably right. And uh, he was really straight. Um, uh, and, uh, and I said, hey, Britt, what do you think of Ross Perot? He said, well, we'll see. And I said, I think this is it. Just, just, just 
sort of resembling your comments, that this is it, this is going to happen, so on and so forth. And Britt said, you know, Doug, let's wait. (laughs) Nothing like this has ever succeeded before. It's not going, it's not likely to succeed now. And I, and uh, that, that stayed with me because I sort of embarrassed myself in front of this dude, but by being so certain of what I saw as an inevitability. And um, and I sort of been uh, moderated in my reaction ever since. I I think as you do that the that banking will succeed. This is uh, legislation will change. It will become national in the United States. So on and so forth. I don't think it's going to happen in uh, the. If depending on how you define near future, if you define near future as three to five years, which is what my horizon is for near future, um, three to five years, I think it may be done, but it it isn't happening. Like let's get let's get let's go stock up on champagne. And I, I do believe that three or, to five year <laughs> prediction is about but, right, and that's and that's where I, it's fascinating right now that for those that are trying to make their way into the industry now and find their way in before it becomes corporatized. There's just no way around about it. And when everybody gets their hands into this business because they're going to see all the money that comes in when the floodgates are open and legislation comes to be. So let's... Uh, Let me uh, make another comment. I, you know, I'm in communication, so in addition to public affairs and all that, we do branding and advert- and so on. So I was at the uh, conference in New York the Cannabis World Conference, yeah, a few weeks ago, and uh, I was stunned at the number of vape companies. I was stunned at the number of CBD companies. I was stunned at, uh, you know, a few of them, I could tell you their names, and the Pax Vape, I know that name. Um uh, Diamond CBD, I know that name. But they weren't the only ones of their ilk, of their segment in that show. There are a ton of businesses that ought to, if they want to stay around, need to build their brand because they're not known. Well, let me go ahead and jump in here, Doug. If those companies that you mentioned and others would like to go ahead and learn how to build their brand, uh, mm-hmm. Cannabis Radio is a great place to start. So if you want to know more, email me, Brasco, B-R-A-S-C-O, at CannabisRadio.com, Brasco, at CannabisRadio.com, because we can build your brand and we know what's best for you. Find out why Mm -hmm. we know. So we hope you'll do that. Sorry, I had to go and jump in there. You gave me a nice little segue into that. Let's come back. I got a couple more questions for you, and I want to definitely talk more about uh, high growth and give a chance for those to learn about the Mm -hmm. branding and the PR Mm -hmm. that you do for the cannabis industry. We'll talk about that after a short Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads, make genuine business connections, and get premier brand exposure? This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. 
Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with Doug Porth uh, with High Growth Communications. So one other thing that you made a statement about, I want to make this point here. Quote, with the industry under the watchful eye of the Congress and the FDA, in addition to the marketing campaigns needed to build brands, cannabis businesses will need experienced Washington communicators to help both navigate both its business challenges as well as the regulatory and legislative hurdles that might ensue, end quote. Now, mm-hmm. we've talked about this already on the show, but here's the thing. In your experience, how, how do you, how are you able to go ahead and, God, just like an oxymoron, you want to pick an experienced Washington communicator, but yet that person is going to be entrenched within the lobbyists, the people within the industry. How do you know these communicators how do you weigh out that they're going to do what's in your best interest? Oh, well, when you pick an ad agency, how do you know that their creative is going to be in your best interest? You sort of trust them and know them and okay. uh, and so on. Um, the uh, but, but you, uh, I thought you were going to ask a different question. You probably have it on your mind, and that is um, why why do these firms high go? How do they go to lobbyists or? or public affairs firms or whatever. It, right. it was okay. pretty uh, amazing. I built a fairly significant firm of over 100 people in Washington. And, of course, we wanted the tech giants. We wanted Google and Amazon and uh, and uh, Cisco and so on and so forth. Yeah. We ended up handling, handling a number of them. And uh, I can tell you that uh, they t- they understand the seriousness of the campaign, but they also uh, don't like it. <laughs> and 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 that, but that is an evolution. Earlier in the in their history, they didn't understand the seriousness. And they didn't like it, and they weren't involved. And, the, and they, they learned a harsh lesson that they had to be involved, whether they liked it or not. And cannabis industry is certainly knows the same lesson. I, I once made a comparison to MCI, which um, you know basically started out with trying to topple AT&T long distance and succeeded, but they didn't have any tel- telecom experience, telecom expertise, telecom a- assets. They had lawyers. Um, Bill McGowan, who built MCI, said, MCI is a law firm with an antenna on top. And what they did was they built, law- they, they built uh, legal cases and lobbying efforts and so on. He moved the company from Peoria, Illinois, to Washington, D.C., a block away from the FCC, and they, they established a presence there. <laughs> and, and it was not had anything to do with the content or substance of the business, but all it was was changing regulations, which would allow the business. Now, I want to ask about this because there is a story that I pulled up that pushes back a little bit on the argument that you give. Uh, Vice.com actually wrote an article saying that the weed industry is burning millions of D.C. lobbyists and getting nowhere. And what they did Mm -hmm. say was there were several Hill veterans that talked to Vice and said that all the cannabis industry has been able to buy in Washington is an expensive lesson on how the capital works, how little cannabis matters compared to other well-established business interests in burning cash in D.C. And the problem is that the lobbyists aren't beloved by either side of the aisle. And the part of it is, despite the potential in the marketplace, uh, most of the weed-friendly lawmakers, nearly all of whom are Democrats, they said they would rather meet with representatives from established legalization advocacy groups, probably the likes of NCIA or Normal or others like that, or the MPP, rather than hired guns a retainer from the for-profit industry. In key congressional offices, the suits 
quote-unquote suits are greeted with deep suspicion and given a brush off. And that's what some staffers are saying. And then long-tenure state Senate Republicans, which we refer to, whose support or at least neutrality will be required for any major cannabis reform bills to make it through Congress are not meeting with anybody from the industry at all. Yeah. Um, because what uh, the basic flaw in what you just read was the premise that wa- that the cannabis business is throwing millions away on lobbyists in Washington. They are, but their millions do not come close to the millions that the senators and congressmen are familiar with. So when they have a knock on their door from pharmaceutical company, they have a knock on their door from the pharma, the association. They, they're by themselves, they're lobbying, not advertising, not public affairs, but straight lobbying budget each year is $30 million. That's the association. The association lobbying budget is dwarfed by the lobby. So basically, they need a war chest. There seems to be a bigger war chest. A lot more funding has to come in to even come in with the big boys or even come close. Money talks. And you have to, and yes. And so what Vice says, we're throwing millions away, relatively speaking, it's uh, it's sandlot. And and the other thing about it is so that if you want to play in in the league that we really have to play in, you have to consolidate your lobbying money instead of dividing it among various uh, associations that largely compete against each other and uh, incur repetitive repetitive expenses. You have to consolidate, create great force. In, consolidate the industry, consolidate the players, be able to mobilize major communications campaigns, grassroots campaigns like email campaigns, phone campaigns, and so on, because you're, because you're representing the entire industry. You have to have that clout. You have to get, raise a lot of money, a lot more money than these guys are raising now, and that's, and that's what's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then the cannabis business is going to be a segment of pharma or or uh, spirits or maybe food uh, or maybe all of the above. But the cannabis industry will not be the cannabis industry. No, but I'll tell you what, Doug, you're, pre- you're preaching the gospel right here. This is absolutely true. And I think the, uh, it's, a, it's, 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 it's shameful that we have to, that the industry has to go through these kind of trials and tribulations but it's like you said it's again it's just a system where just like any big business if it's there's some corruption within then you have to play with money and that's how it works it's it's the buy-in well i wouldn't necessarily call it corruption furthermore i wouldn't necessarily say that the um well not saying the whole industry is but i think there are there are players that are corrupt yeah, but I also wouldn't necessarily adhere to the concept that senators and congressmen dislike lobbyists. I know, I know, I know. I, I've seen this sort of up close and personal. I see guys who go out and dine together and drink together and party together, and um, and I see and I know that lobbyists who control campaign funds give a check to. Uh, a, a Republican and give the same check to a Democrat. Uh, it is a industry that I don't that I think that people sometimes like to pump puff up and say, "Oh, I don't I don't buy into that. I don't like that." They're part of it. It's an industry. There is, in my mind, an industry called Washington. Government is a big part of it. But you, if you stand on the corner of Connecticut and K. Okay, and you look to the left, you look to the right, you look up, you look down. All you see are office buildings, and you know what's in those office buildings? Lobby, lawyer, public affairs, communications, trade associations up the gazoo, consultants, and so on. That's the business of Washington, and Washington has one of the lowest vacancy rates and highest commercial office space rents in the world. The greatest, the center, or from time to time, number one, sometimes drops 
down a little bit of interest of institutional investors that invest in commercial real estate. Their primary in market very often is Washington, D.C. This is a solid business. It's the American way. <laughs> it, uh, it is an industry. It is, an, it is a growth industry. And so um, you see that in, um, in you know, the divisions and uh, the inability to concept of compromise and so on and so forth, and which I'm sick about, but it's, uh, but that's, uh, uh, so it's a, it's a growing industry and that's going to be the reality. So and, let me go do this. Um, I got to ask one more question, then I, I want to ask about high growth one more time. So real sure. quickly, how's this affected your relationships with those that you know in Washington, knowing that you now have this new agency geared towards the cannabis industry? Has it really made any real ripple? Have people kind of uh, they've have you are you surprised by certain reactions that you've gotten? Uh, I'm not surprised, but there is one reaction that uh, I uh, sense that um, is unique in here, and that is that you talk to the large law firms, accounting firms, and um, lobbying firms, and so on and so forth, they all want a piece of the cannabis industry, and they're all hiding. So go to the conference in Miami or any other conference, and show me the booths that uh, are there from major law firms, accounting firms, and so on. They don't. They're not marketing. They're scared, but they want to be in the business. So what's going to happen is that when banking is changed, the whole demeanor of the industry has changed and all those really, really big law firms and accounting firms and consulting firms and so on and so forth are going to be marketing to the business, to the industry like mad. And that's going to be an inflection point in the growth of the industry because the in, because these companies are now going to be getting advice and 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 uh, and so on and so forth not, not from uh, the small entrepreneurial firms but from the really global law firms and I, global I really like investment bank and so on that's that that's going to happen when banking changes i really like that point and i'd like to see that come to pass i think you're i don't think you're far off at all i think you're right on you're on target right that that comment so mm-hmm. we've had a great conversation doug i mean i'm really glad we had the chance to talk i mean you've been very you've given us a real insight and i think just reality check for the industry in terms of those that are, that are lobbying and trying to get their agenda pushed in Washington and, and what needs to be happening more and just the struggles of all of it. So this is a very important conversation that uh, mm-hmm. we're going to have to revisit another year or two, especially after 2020. I want to see what changes in the cycle and what comes to pass because I think because of that election cycle, certain things might actually happen that will benefit the industry. But then again, what else could be done because it's such a very volatile cycle right now when you know new people are coming into play, who can come in once they make it into power and they get voted in, who will get persuaded to help support? That's a very important point. Uh, let's talk about high growth communication. So it's high growth dot agency. And uh, real quickly, We've heard, obviously, you know, you have your understanding about Washington and what you're doing right now with the cannabis industry. So talk to our listeners for a minute and tell them about why they should go ahead and partner with somebody like High Growth. Well, because hopefully I showed some credentials in what, in where, in how I think and what I know and so on and so forth. But we have people in social media who know social media really well and know compliance issues. And we have people in creative, digital and traditional who design and come up with advertising campaigns and productions and so on, who also, this is, um, I'm trying to. I've assembled. We've assembled and aggregated a world-class group of people, and so what our goal is really simply is for a company that really wants to be number one, two, or three in its space to knock on our door and say, "We want a campaign." Because one thing that that uh, has imbued me in Washington 
that needs to be applied to the cannabis industry is that you have to have campaign thinking. You can't say, oh, we, we do it on Instagram. We project, we communicate on Instagram. No. What you have to do is the way campaigns are run is that there is a real campaign that embraces and folds and uh, and communicates to their targets in precise terms everywhere that target turns, whether it's a billboard or online or an event or an editorial or whatever. It's a campaign. That's what we want to do. Fascinating, interesting information. Really, Doug, I do thank you so much for coming on and joining us here on the program because uh, I've, you've opened my eyes to a lot of different things. And this is a subject we don't get to talk a lot of. We talk certainly about some of the bills and issues, but to get that inside Washington perspective, that's something we haven't had a lot of. And I'm glad you're on with us. And uh, we obviously want to go and keep in touch with you. And like I said, let's see what happens in Washington. If things kind of stir up and some things go in the cannabis industry's favor, we'd love to have you back. Sure. Love to. Thank you very much, Brasco, and I've enjoyed it a good deal. Call anytime. So again, highgrowth.agency is where you can learn more. A G-R-O- G-R-O-W-T-H, highgrowth.agency is that so you can learn about the uh, website. So again, remember the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo is coming up August 3rd and 4th, Miami, Florida, usccexpo.com. Join me, join thousands of attendees, hundreds of exhibitors, and hundreds of speakers that will be joining us with some great conversations for all of you. We'll obviously talk about this subject and more. Again, usccexpo.com to learn more. Thanks for joining us. You can download past episodes by going to CannabisRadio.com. Subscribe to the show. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.